before they cash in on the third down. Off to the races. And the kick is blocked. Appalachian State has stunned the college football world. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Man, doesn't that just inspire you, seeing stuff like that, where the, the underdog just comes from behind, or against all odds, they, they win? I mean, for me, that just, oh, I love rooting for the underdog. But generally speaking, don't we all love to root for the underdog? Unless, of course, you're an Alabama fan, in which case, you don't root for the underdog. But for me and most of the rest of us, you're rooting for the underdog is... Ah, it's inspiring because there's just something about that possibility of victory. Like the Chicago Cubs being in the World Series. As Pastor Colt said, I mean, there's something about that that's exciting, right? Or when Ralph Macchio did the crane thing like this, and he kicked that Cobra Kai kid right in the face, and you're like, yeah, he had it coming, right? We root for that because it's exciting to see possibility of victory become reality unless we're the underdog then it's not quite so exciting to be the underdog is it all of a sudden the challenges seem way harder the obstacles are way bigger and the naysayers are way way louder and we find ourselves feeling scared and hopeless and alone. But God, God is the God of the underdog. Okay, he wants to use the underdog to accomplish great things. And over the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about some underdogs in the Bible, some regular people who were, by the world standards, down and out, untouchable, and how God took them and used them to accomplish great things for the kingdom, and how he wants to do the same thing in your life. So before we get started in today's Bible story, as Pastor Colt said, I want to do something fun. I want to know how many of us in this room have ever felt like an underdog. So pull your cell phone out, and then text the word yes or no to 22333. So like right now, I just texted yes, and you can see right there. All right, so if you've ever felt like an underdog, text yes. If you haven't, text no. Now, while you're doing that, I want to tell you a little bit about the first time that I felt like an underdog. All right, it was way back in the day when I was in junior high, seventh grade, going out for the football team for the very first time. And I was playing cornerback, and so I still remember our very first game. All right, and by first game, I mean no longer practice where it's just you and your friends goofing off, but where the people on the other side of the ball actually want to hurt you. That one. I'm cornerback, right? And then they ran a sweep around my side. Okay, now, I wasn't always the striking Adonis-like figure that you see in front of you. Okay, in seventh grade, I was pretty much a scrawny little runt at that time. And this kid coming around the corner with the football... He was shaving, and I'm pretty sure he had spent some time in juvie because there was murder in his eyes as he ran it towards me. But hey, hey, I'm good in a crisis, okay? Training took over, 
I broke down, had my feet going like this, legs bent, head up. I was ready. He came towards me and I exploded into him, put my face in his numbers, wrapped my arms around his waist. And friends, I'm here to tell you, he ran over me like an armadillo on the East Texas highway. I went from here to here where his knees pummeled my face and then I fell off into a crumpled heap of pathetic lying on the field. He probably ran off and scored a touchdown or something. I don't know. Honestly, at that point, I didn't care because I was broken. And not so much my body, but my mind. Because for the first time in my life, I realized what an underdog I really was. I was no match for this dude. And he was going to keep running at me for three more quarters. I felt hopeless and I felt scared. I can see, judging by the poll here, that you guys have felt those feelings too. You know what it means to be the underdog, to be counted out. Here's the thing. God often calls us to do things that are just flat out scary. Fear is a part of it. And the problem is, Satan takes that fear, the evil one manipulates us, and we become so fearful that we trade what God wants us to do for safety. We choose a life of safety over a life of effectiveness because we're afraid. Perhaps in our workplace or our school, uh, it's not a very godly environment and it drags you down and you know that you need to take a stand for Jesus. But we fear being ostracized by our friends or we fear losing our job. So we stay silent and safe. Or perhaps God is calling you to step out uh, to find a new job or to find a new career even. Maybe start your own business but you fear the unknown, or maybe you, you fear a lack of income. And so, you stay where you are and safely keep doing what you've always done instead of following the Lord. If we let fear guide our actions, then we will never be able to do all that God has designed for us to do, and we will never experience the blessings of following the Lord and watching him use you to accomplish something great. So that begs the question, I mean, if fear often comes with what God calls us to do, and the evil one uses fear to keep us from doing what God wants us to do, we have to ask, how can I follow God when I'm afraid? Well, there are two things that I think we can learn from our underdog in the Bible today. His name is Gideon. His story is in Judges chapter 6. Uh, the first thing we can learn is, number one, see me as God sees me. It's your first fill-in of the day on your message notes. See me as God sees me. See, Gideon lived a life of fear in a culture of fear. The Lord had brought the Israelites into the promised land, right? The Bible described it as a land flowing with milk and honey. It just meant it was a very fertile, very wonderful land. And there's a people called the Midianites who invaded 
And God's people were so afraid that they ran to the mountains and hid and lived in caves because the Midianites were so oppressive and there were so many of them. The people lived in fear for seven years, the Bible tells us, until they finally cried out to God and asked for help. And they said, Lord, deliver us. And that's where Gideon comes in. Look in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now take your pen and underline mighty warrior. Because at this point, Gideon was living in fear in a cave, threshing wheat in a wine press, which is basically just a big hole in the ground. And I don't know how many of you are really up to date on your wheat threshing procedure, but in case you're not, threshing wheat was something that typically took place in an open space. And Gideon had it down in a wine press covered because he was afraid the Midianites would show up and steal it. That's hardly mighty warrior status. But you see, God called him a mighty warrior, not for who he was or what he had done, but for what he was going to do. And he wanted to encourage him. For all you English teachers out there, that's called foreshadowing. I thought I would never get to use it, but it's there. Foreshadowing. Who'd have thunk it in the Bible? So God called Gideon mighty warrior. So how does Gideon respond? Look in verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Now, circle weakest and circle least. This is, this is a classic underdog line. Because God says, go. I'm sending you, go. And Gideon says, whoa, wait a minute here, God. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you forget that my clan is small and tiny in all of Manasseh? We're the smallest. And in case you haven't noticed, God, I am the weakest shortest, tiniest person in my family. You can't possibly mean me. But what Gideon didn't realize and what so many of us fail to realize is God uses the underdog. He purposefully chooses the outcast. He purposefully chooses the one that no one thinks is gonna win. And he does that so that when that person wins, God gets the glory and not the man. It's just the way God works. Moses was a murderer and an outcast. He was banished. And God used him to deliver the people from Pharaoh. King David, before he was King David, was a shepherd. And if you recall, being a shepherd back in the day was not really a great profession. And he was the smallest of all his brothers. And the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart because of how God used him. The disciples that Jesus called, they weren't religious scholars. They were common fishermen and a tax collector. Everybody hates tax collectors. That's who Jesus called. That's who God uses, the underdog, the down and out. God does things upside down 
from man's conventional wisdom so that when he does what he does, God gets the glory and not men. And so right now, I want to ask you, if God has laid something on your heart to do, and you know he's speaking to you, and the first thing you do is come up with a list of excuses why you can't do it, pause. Think about Gideon for a minute. Because God is sending you. And God is looking at you and saying, mighty warrior, go and do what I have asked you to do. Am I not sending you? See yourself like God sees you and like God saw Gideon. All right, the second thing that we can do, the second lesson we can learn from Gideon is to not only see ourselves as God sees us, but to overcome my fear, I must strive to obey. That's your next fill-in. To overcome my fear, I must strive to obey. And the next one, even when I am scared. Even when I'm scared. Because fear is a natural part of being an underdog. And when God called Gideon and Gideon said, okay, Lord, I'm going to go, all of his fear that caused him to say no in the first place, it didn't magically go away. It was still there. It hung out for a while. So the first thing God called Gideon to do was to cut down the Asherah pole and to build an altar to him instead. So if you don't know what an Asherah pole is, back in June of this year, Pastor Mike preached a message in the Rise and Fall of Kings series Uh, It was the one from June 12th, actually, where he talked a lot about the Asherah pole. I want to encourage you, if if you don't know, go watch that video. You can do it on our Parkway Fellowship app, or you can go to the website, parkwayfellowship.com slash messages. Go watch that, and he does a great job explaining the significance of the Asherah pole. For our purposes today, however, just know that the Asherah pole was basically a monument to a pagan god that people worshipped and made sacrifices to. And it was very important in their ritual worship of pagan gods. So, God says, go cut that down and show that you follow me by building me an altar. And so Gideon wanted to follow the Lord, but he was afraid. Let's look what happens in verse 27. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. He was afraid of the people. He was afraid of his own family. So he did it late so no one would see him. Now my mom used to tell me that nothing good happens after midnight. I wish I'd have known about this scripture. If only I had read the Bible better back then, I could have said, no, no, mom, look, good stuff does happen after midnight. I might have had a better curfew. (laughs) Students, read your Bible. It can help you. (laughs) Parents, don't fall for it. But he went at night so no one would see. And why? Because the next day when they woke up and saw the Asherah pole had been destroyed, they were mad. And they showed up at Gideon's house ready to kill him. Now, I don't know how many of you guys have had an experience with an angry mob before. I will tell you, it is one of the scariest experiences of my life ever. Because angry mobs filled with large amounts of people, there there is no logic 
and there is no restraint. And Gideon should have died that day. The only reason they didn't kill him is because God rescued him. And how God rescued him is a great story that I'm going to let you go read. It's in chapter 6 of Judges. Go home today and read that. I'm going to leave it as a little cliffhanger for you. The way God rescued him was so clever and so amazing. But Gideon did not die. He walked away unscathed. So, to overcome fear, we need to see God, see ourselves as God sees us. We need to strive to obey even when we're scared and even when it's illogical. Even when it's illogical. See, sometimes the thing God calls us to do, they just flat out don't make sense. Just calling it what it is. Sometimes you look and you go, God, are you kidding me? Really? But that's what God does. So in Gideon's case, um, shortly after he was rescued from the angry mob, it came time to gather an army. And so Gideon gathered an army of about 32,000 or so soldiers. All right, sounds pretty good. Except that we have read earlier in the Bible that the number of the Midianites and their camels, the Bible tells us, could not be counted. It was so vast, they couldn't count it. And the last time I checked, uncountable beats 32,000 every time. But 32,000, God said, was too many. He said, whittle it down. And he whittled that number all the way down to 300 men. And Gideon followed him every step of the way. But you know he was quaking in his boots or sandals, whatever he wore back then. Before Leonidas and the 300 Spartans, there was Gideon and the 300 Israelites against innumerable amounts from Midian. And here's what a lot of people miss in this story, and it's one of the reasons that I love God so much. Look at what God says in Judges chapter 7, verse 9. It says, During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. Now circle the word if, because this is what I love so much about God. He knows Gideon. He knows him inside and out. He knows his heart. He knows that Gideon wants to follow him, but he knows on the inside, Gideon is afraid. And step by step through obedience, Gideon has followed him, but God knows him so well that he meets him right where he is and says, look, Gideon, if you're still afraid, go down to the camp. So Gideon grabs his servant, go down, goes down to the camp, and overhears one man talking to his friend, sharing about a dream he had. And look, in verse 14, after hearing the dream, his friend responded, this dream can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Now, do you think it's any coincidence 
that the first thing Gideon heard when they made it to the camp is one guy sharing a dream and says, hey, the Lord has given the Midianites into his hands. Like, we're about to be defeated. And not only did they say that, but he specifically said Gideon's name. And just so Gideon wouldn't think it's the Gideon that lived in the cave down the street, he said Gideon, son of Joash. God arranged that conversation so that Gideon would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was leading him. See, God knows us. He knows our hearts. And God understands your fear. So he gives you confirmations along the way so that you know you're actually doing what he has called you to do, even when it's scary, even when it's illogical. So for instance, my wife, Andrea, started grad school over the summer. And we had been talking about it, we were praying about it, and honestly had some fear about following that path. I didn't know how the finances were going to work out. I didn't, we didn't know about time and how she was going to fit all that extra into her already busy schedule. But we, we knew God was calling us, so we said, okay, we're, we're, we're going to walk this path. So we start going through the process, and then, lo and behold, she hears about a scholarship that is only for grad students and only in her major. She applies for it and gets the scholarship. Confirmation. So we kept walking the path. She took the first couple classes, loved them, and then it came time to register for fall, and we're like, okay, there's no more scholarships. What are we going to do? So we were praying about it. We knew fall was going to be busy. She had just started a new job. So we're like, okay, Lord, we're going to keep walking this path. And out of the blue, one of her professors talked with her and said, you know, I was praying for you, and I want you to know that I see in you the gifts to do this well, and I just want to encourage you in pursuing this degree. Confirmation. And those are just two of several examples of how God, along the way, showed us that we were walking the right path. And honestly, we still don't have all the answers to our questions. It still doesn't make 100% sense, except we know God called us to walk the path, so we're walking it. But he's given confirmations along the way. So what about you today? Is God calling you? to do something in your life right now that, that you're afraid of? So some of you, some of you God may be calling to just become a Christ follower for the first time. Like you've lived the way of the world and have realized that that ain't it and God's calling you to be a Christ follower and it's scary. There's a prayer you can pray on the back of your message notes. At the bottom it's written down. That prayer will help you get started on your way to becoming more like Christ. And we're going to pray together in just a moment. And when we do, I want to encourage you. If you know God is telling you to follow him, pray the prayer and follow him. Just like Gideon had to get rid of the Asherah pole and build an altar to the Lord, turn your back on the ways of the world and choose to follow Jesus. Some of you in this room, though, you're already a Christ follower and God has called you to do something and you're scared. You're afraid of it. 
Perhaps it's getting involved uh, in, in serving or teaching in the kids' ministry or the student ministry. And you know what? Other people's kids are frightening. I get that. Most of them don't bite. But God has called you. Step out. Or, or some of you need to sign up to serve the Thanksgiving dinner in the third ward with our missions ministry this year. To bring hope and blessing to people who really need hope and a blessing. But going to the third ward in a, is kind of a scary area and maybe, maybe working with impoverished people uh, is way out of your comfort zone. But God's calling you. So step out. Maybe you have a relationship with a parent or a sibling or a coworker that you need to, you need to take steps to rectify because that relationship is broken. Or maybe, maybe you have a relationship with a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend that is unhealthy or someone else in your life that that relationship is dragging you down and you need to sever that relationship. But you're afraid of the consequences. But God's calling you to step out. Or maybe you need to tithe and give 10% of your income back to the Lord like the Bible tells us. But right now, with the economy and the election and the price of oil, you're thinking... That's scary. I don't know if I can do that. But God's calling you to. So step out in faith. So right now, if you know that God has called you to do something and you were afraid to take that first step, I want to pray for you right now. Take your phone and to 22333 Text either a Y or an N. Y is yes, God has called me to do something and I am afraid to take the step to do it. Or N for right now, I'm not aware of anything God wants me to do that I'm not doing. While you do that, let me tell you how our story ends. So Gideon and the, and the 300 go surround the camp of Midian. But they didn't take swords with them. They took a torch and they took a horn, a trumpet that they would use to sound the battle cry. They surrounded the Midianites. The torches went up. They blew the horns and they shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. The Midianites were so afraid, they turned on each other and ended up taking care of each other. And the Israelites didn't have to swing a sword at all. But did you hear what they said? They said, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. You see, his name was now included in their battle cry. He went from underdog to top dog. And all he had to do was take a step of faith, follow the Lord, even when it was scary, even when it didn't make sense. Will you do that today? Will you... See yourself as God sees you, as a mighty warrior that he is sending out to accomplish his task. 59% of us in this room are saying that I know God has called me to do something and I am afraid. So I am so proud of you for taking that first step to say, I know God's called me to do it and I'm afraid of it. Admitting that, that's the first step. And I want to pray for us now to take the next step and the next one, and the next one.
Bow your heads. Father, thank you for Gideon and his story. God, thank you for how you worked through him to not only rescue your people, God, but to provide an example for us of how patient you are, how you know us and how you love us, God, and how you want to use us in ways that we can't always imagine. God, I pray for those today, God, who've realized that they need to commit their life to you and become a Christ follower. Father, help them to to bypass any fear or reservations they have, God, anything that they've heard in the past, God, but just to give themselves to follow you and to learn how to become more like Jesus. God, I pray for those in this room uh, who, who know that you're leading them to take a bold step for you, God, but have admitted today that they're afraid. God, may you give them strength and desire to walk forward and follow you despite their fears. God, give them those confirmations along the way so they know that they're taking the right steps. And for those of us, God, who are not currently facing that challenge, God, but we know in the future, you're gonna call us to do something that is scary and may not seem to make sense. God, strengthen us and prepare us to follow you whenever and however you call us. And we pray this in your great name. Amen.